We're working with those verses down around 13 to 16 last week. Again, the promise given to Abraham was given while he was uncircumcised. We know back up in verse 9 to 12. Um, it wasn't while he was circumcised, so it wasn't of his work of religiosity. Circumcision came later. And all that he did, it wasn't because of the law. So it wasn't because of some ritual act of circumcision. It wasn't because of keeping a law. It wasn't of himself. It was God doing it. And that's why it's so important you understand that you came to Christ. If you're a born-again believer here tonight, you came to Christ from A to Z as an act of God. It was not an act of you. Romans 12.3, God gave you a seed of faith. John chapter 16, the Spirit of God convicted you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John chapter 6, no one comes unto me unless the Father draws him. And all who come unto me, I'll in no wise cast them out. Jesus said in John uh, chapter 15, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you'd go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So, we must understand an essential point, and that is that God wants you. God desires you. Well, he chose me because he expected me to produce, and now I'm not producing like I should. Wrong. Jesus said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he expected of you, nothing. So you can't fell him, you see. Well, he, he saved me, but he expects me to be faithful. Second Timothy chapter 2. He remains faithful even when we're not faithful because he can't deny himself. That's his nature. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is loving. The whole concept of Christianity, which is different from every religion in the world, is that you would just be overwhelmed with the goodness of God and that would so spur you to want to give your life away exactly as Jesus gave his life away. David said, taste and see if the Lord is good. All other religions basically keep you under thumb through guilt and through coming short of what your requirements of God are. Now, don't get me wrong. In sanctification, there is room to talk about that but not out of fleshly trying to motivate, but as one brother to another brother, or one sister to another sister, saying, let us love the Lord. Let us deny ourselves and take up a cross. So there is definitely the room for convincing, rebuking, as uh, the Lord tells, or as Paul tells Timothy, as a good pastor would do. There's definitely room for that, just like a parent who loves and cares for his child. There's still room for rebuking and correcting them, okay? But again, that's in the work of sanctification. In justification, we have to come to understand that God is the one who did this. In sanctification, we have to constantly remember whatever the work is, it's going to be empowered through the grace and the strength of God. Where does it come through? The resurrection power, Romans chapter 6. We're not there yet, so I can't get ahead of myself. So I'm not leaving out the one, so don't freak out on me tonight going, hold it, you know, cheap grace or whatever. No, there's no, there's no cheap grace. But we have to understand that God is the one who began this. God is the one who's going to finish it. He has set your soul at rest. If you've truly come unto him, then you're at rest. 
you've been diligent, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, laboring to enter, make sure that you enter into that rest. What rest? Faith in the nature of God. Faith in the nature of God. There's been those circumstances where maybe my wife told me, Brian, I'll be there at 7 o'clock. And I'm there with a friend who maybe is not as familiar with my wife. And there he'd say, gee, it's 7.05. Are you sure you told her this spot? Yeah, I told her this spot. Are you sure you told her it's 7 and not 7.30? Yeah, I told her it's 7, this spot, she knows it. Well, is she usually a little bit late? Oh, you know, 7-ish. I told her 7-ish. I didn't say 7 to the dot, you know, it would be there at 6.59. It's 7.05, it's no big deal. 7.10. Now, are you sure that she understands that she's supposed to be right here at, she didn't think that you were going to be at home, and then... You know, you didn't, no, believe me, she knows here, she'll be here. And then, sure enough, she turns and comes around the corner. Now, he's sweating it. You see, he's worried during that 10-minute period of time because he is not so confident as I am because I know her. We communicated. She understood the communication. We said 7-ish, 7-10, that's fine. That's well within the parameter. 7-30, I'll start worrying. She's in a car wreck or something. But the fact of the matter is, is no, I'm totally at rest. But yet this person is not, you see there, man, are you sure you got the right place? It's those who know God, you see, who really know the Lord, then they know that they have eternal life. It says in John 17, 3. Why? Because I know God. He did not put any stipulations on our salvation. We studied last week in verse 16. Therefore, it's a faith. It's not of the law. It's not of our religious works, such as circumcision. It's a faith that it might be according to grace or as a gift, so that the promise might be sure, a guarantee, would not in any way add to it or take away from it. It's a guarantee to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who are, is the father of us all. So we have a rest in our salvation. So we begin to struggle with sin. Have any of you, since you've gotten saved, struggled with sin? Anybody? If you haven't, come up and talk to me afterwards. I'd, I'd like to know. What's the first thing that happens? Am I really saved? Now, I, I need to check into this Calvinism-Arminius debate, because Calvinists say you can't lose your salvation, and Arminius say you can, and, you know, I want to make sure. Now, forget it. They've been arguing over that for 2,000 years. They're both wrong. It's not the point. The issue is, is do you know Jesus? Is he your friend? Isn't it odd that we often have more confidence in man who usually fails us than in God who never fails us? Jeremiah said there in the book of Lamentations that he had totally lost hope until he remembered the Lord's loving kindness. It's new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Zephaniah understood that. Turn over to Zephaniah chapter 3. Did you find it? <clears throat> okay, hurry up, guys. This is only a... It's right at the very tail end of the 
Old Testament. Go to the very Old Testament, Malachi, and turn backwards. You got Zechariah, and then you got a little tiny book right there, Haggai, and then Ze Zephaniah is right before Haggai. Little tiny three-chapter book. It's really in there. Yes, it's not that. I didn't say turn to the book of Hezekiah. It's not in there. He was a king. This is why it's so important you read through the Bible at least once a year. Those pages are all stuck together and you can't get them apart. Zephaniah chapter 3. Look there at verse 17. If you can't find it, just trust me. And, and that's your homework for this week. Spend an hour every day working on it. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Just listen up if you don't have it. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Is that a good memory verse or what? God rejoices over you. Brian, I've really been messing up this week. God still rejoices over you. But I've been sinning. God still rejoices over you. He may be disappointed. You may be hurting opportunities for rewards for heaven. You may be hurting relationships. You can, you know, just like if my child hurts himself, I get upset. Why? Because I don't want my child hurt. My child is disobeying me, and the reason I gave him that rule is because I don't want them to be injured. I'll be upset because I know that the possibility of them being injured is there. If I told them, stay away from the barbecue, and then a few minutes later they come in and their hand's beaten red and chunks of skin out of it, Dad, I'm in pain. You know why? Well, I touched the barbecue. Well, I'm mad. I'm upset with them. Why? Because I'm this authoritarian type of person and I want them to keep them under my thumb. No, I, I want to keep them a distance away from what can hurt them. God doesn't want us to sin. Why? Because God wants us to keep a, away what can hurt us. God wants us to have a life and have it abundantly. So whatever the case, God's feelings, God's thoughts, God's intents, God's desires, God's dreams, God's plans never change. God is who He is. And if God chose you, God's not going to unchoose you. If God has brought you salvation, He's not going to take salvation away. He rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you in His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Turn over to 1 John, right next to the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him, because he first loved us. You see, if you really know God, if you've really come to know him, God is love. His main chief attribute, if you were to describe God in one word, it would be love. 
if you've come to understand who he is, his nature, that he is a God of love, that he loved you, that he died on the cross for you, then you're not going to fear anything else. You start stumbling and falling and struggling, you just come boldly into that throne of grace and say, God, help me. You're not saying, God, am I still saved? Lord, please let me know, you know. No, that's not what you do. You don't go home and start saying, oh, God, speak to me. Oh, you know, flip open the Bible. God will destroy them with the vengeance of, oh, no, no, God, 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 no, please. Another verse. I know that's not really the way you feel, is it, God? And those who blaspheme will, no, oh, no, not that one either, God. We don't play around with God that way. God is who he is. There's no shadow of turning in him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have to play games with God. Who is he? I don't know. I'm a little afraid. I know you're afraid because you don't know him. That's, that's the problem. If you were confident, you see, then you're at rest. If you're not confident, then you're not at rest. What's going to make you confident? Knowing him. That's why the Bible says there's one yoke. Learn of me. You'll find that I'm lowly of heart and humble, and in this you will find rest. If you're, not, if you're concerned about an area of your life, it's simply because you don't know what God says about it. If you're feeling tension in your relationship with God, it's just because you don't know him well enough yet. What's the answer? Dig into the word of God. As you learn who he is, this is the living word of God describing him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That word became flesh. So by studying the Bible, you see, our soul can become at rest. So God doesn't want us to be concerned over justification. Now Abraham is actually our example of this. In verse 17 tonight, <clears throat> as it's written, I have, made, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, let's think about this just for a moment. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, but he's also the father of, of the nation of Gentiles who have faith in God as Abraham did. Now, what will strike you incredibly funny is when you look back over to verse 12 now and you realize Abraham, our father of faith, our example of faith. Look at verse 12 back in Romans 4. He's the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while what? Still uncircumcised. Now what faith are we to center in on? The faith that Abraham had while he was still what? Uncircumcised, right? Well, you know what? There's only one chapter. Let's take a look over in Genesis. This will make you feel better if you couldn't find Zephaniah. I'm sure you can find Genesis. You don't feel like such a failure tonight. There in Genesis chapter 15... Okay, verse 6 is where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Chapter 17 is where Abraham was circumcised. He got the covenant of circumcision and was circumcised. Okay, 
So now we're to concentrate on the faith of Abraham while he was what? Uncircumcised. So let's look at chapter 16. What's it about? Hagar and Ishmael. Uh-oh. Isn't this where, shouldn't, shouldn't chapter 22 be here? You know, where he offers up Isaac and, wow, you know, God is my provider. Well, think about it. What else did Abraham do while he was uncircumcised? He left the land of promise. He didn't obey God. He took his father with him. From there, he ended up saying twice that Sarah was his sister after God both times had spoke to him, given him a promise that she will have a child. He was still afraid that he'd be dead, that Pharaoh would kill him and Abimelech would kill him. We see that he was a man who didn't struggle a little bit in trusting God. He struggled a lot in trusting God. And we see our father of faith stumbling around just like you and I stumble around in action. Here we see in chapter 16, there is a story where he just got this promise from God. You're going to have a son as many as the stars of the sands of the, uh, many as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heavens. And and Sarah says, hey, you know, maybe let's help God out a little bit here. Maybe he needs somebody who's fertile. And I'm not. I can't have kids. The problem's probably with me. Take Hagar. Sure enough, the problem was with Sarah. He took um, Hagar. Committed adultery, I don't care how you slice it, it was sin. Even if your wife does approve of it and know about it, it's still wrong. And there, um, he ends up having a child, Ishmael, through that relationship. Sarah treats Hagar horribly, sends her away, uh, totally abuses her. Abraham doesn't approve. God says, let Sarah send her away. And here, she's, Hagar's out in the desert dying with her little baby. It's just a very, very sad story that ends up progressing uh, through the time here. Then God gives him the covenant of circumcision. That's your example of faith. What is God trying to say here, folks? That the promise is going to be kept not by promise keepers, but by the promise keeper. The best we can do is fail. God never fails. And it's so important that we understand that God in his hand is going to keep us. Remember in John chapter 10, it says that as many as come unto me are in my hand. As many as have come unto me are also in my Father's hand. And of them, he loses how many? He loses none. You see, we have to have faith in this incredibly merciful, patient, loving, gracious Father. Now, does that mean how we live doesn't make a difference? It makes all the difference in the world. That is sanctification. Okay? There's, you, can, you can limit your quality of life with God on earth as well as eternally because of rewards. You don't receive answers to prayer. Why? Because you don't pray. Believe me, your, re your response to God's love is everything. But remember, it's your response to his love that God will only account anything. Without love, what? It profits you nothing. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? You can give all your goods to the poor. You can give your body to be burned. 
You can have all mysteries. You can have this incredible amount of faith so to move mountains. And you are nothing. It profits you nothing. So God has to first settle us down to what? Bring us to the place where we know it's 100% him. He's the author and he is the finisher. Period. Not with your help. Remember in Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to perfect it in the flesh? Remember Galatians 3. Who has bewitched you? The word there is literally, who has seduced you with feelings over fact? So here's Abraham. God has declared me righteous. Then what does he do? Commits adultery and has a baby with, an, has a baby with another woman. God comes back and says to him, Now, you're my child. And as my child, I'm going to put a covenant with you and the people. And he gives him circumcision. You ever thought about that? What was God thinking of? It's like, what? Hey, God. <laughs> you know, a nice bracelet? <laughs> you know, wear my hairs in a nice braid? You know, a tattoo of an anchor? Yeah, I could, I could see any of that. But circumcision? I mean, what was God thinking? He's letting you know it's something that you're not going to be able to glory in. Not in the flesh. I mean, you don't show that off. Not without getting arrested. <laughs> The whole point is, is that we're not to glory in our flesh. That the work that God has done, we're doing it unto him. In response to his goodness. Abraham, you can have as many kids as the stars of the heavens. What does Abraham do? He messes up. God comes back and says, you know what? I'm going to do it. But I want to do it in such a way that your response is in secret. What did Jesus say about prayer? Pray in secret. Giving, give in secret. All these things we will do as a response. Now, there's some people who come to this going, gosh, the work is 100% God, it's not me. I think I'll just go to the bar tonight after service. Because I'm for sure saved, I can't take away. And you know what I say to that person? Go to the bar and drink all you want to drink. Because you know what? You're doing what's in your heart. And by doing what's in your heart, you have proven you're not born again. And it's a good thing that you quit living this lie. Do what's in your heart. You should absolutely do what's in your heart. But you know what? Your heart's going to reveal where you're really at with God. Sometimes people will come up going, Man, I'm just struggling. I just can't get in the word and I'm just having such a hard time praying and man it's just such a burden I'll say you know what okay I'll I'll put you on a schedule to help you get out of it first of all you cannot read the Bible at all for a month give me your Bible you promise me now you will not read your Bible for a month secondly you cannot pray not one prayer for an entire month you cannot pray for a month you cannot read your Bible for a month you're free You know what? People in a few days are just dying. 
man, I can't even pray. It's just a little prayer over my food, you know? No, you cannot pray at all. Man, just, just a little bit of Bible. No, none at all. You, you know, their heart's there. It's just they're playing these human fleshly mind games. You know, it's where you say, man, I'm going to clean the house up before mom gets home. And you're in there and you've got it halfway cleaned up and mom comes home. Okay, kids, come here. We're going to get this house cleaned up. Oh, no, mom, I can't do it. Oh, I, can't, I don't want to do it. It's just all the difference, isn't it? And again, God has given us liberty. But he says in Galatians 5, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, don't play mind games. You want to play mind games, you'll learn quickly. If you're born again, you can't go without the word and prayer. The reality is, is if you're truly struggling in a dry time, you know what it is. You just need to know more of God's love for you. When you truly know God's love for you, all the stirrings get, all the feelings get stirred up again. Maybe you've had a relationship like that where maybe it's your boss at work or maybe it's your wife or husband at home and you're just sort of blasé and your boss, you know, you just aren't going to work and not really working very good and all of a sudden your boss calls you in and says, you know what, I'm so blessed you're my employee. Here's a bonus and take a couple days off. Wow. <laughs> now you come back to work on Monday. What's your attitude? Man, I love this boss. I love this work. And man, I just want to get in and work hard. You just, you just need that little touch of love. In the same way, you know, you're just sort of putting up with that person, you know, that significant other, and then all of a sudden they bring home some flowers or some candies or they do something special for you that makes you just feel loved by them, and all of a sudden, wow, I love this relationship. I just love this, this place. Again, what's happening is, is you've stepped away from the Word of God. Satan's been able to sidetrack you and so what ends up happening is the feelings for the word, the feelings for prayer aren't there, but it's still in your heart. It's just a mind game that Satan's been able to play to try to sidetrack you for a short time. Again, what is God trying to say through Abraham? Abraham did believe God. But Abraham stumbled and struggled until he realized that God was going to do it without him. Solely by God's strength, by God's power, by no aid of man. And that's why it's so important that we understand that. Let's read on in here, in, back in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. So I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, he believed. Even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who did he believe in? He believed in God who brings life from the dead and calls things into existence as though they were already inexistent, although they're not. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Verse 18, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall underline that, not so may, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, although it appeared that way on the outside, it was not, he did not have a lack of faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, when you look at the life of Abraham, it appears that he didn't have a lot of faith in God. God says to him there in Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Five verses later, he said, Sarah, say that you're my sister or they're going to kill me. God speaks to him again a little later on saying, yep, I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to have your, uh, your uh, offspring will inherit this land. And then he says, Sarah, say you're my sister to Abimelech. They're going to kill me. Well, they can't kill you. You can't be dead if you're getting ready to have kids and your wife's not pregnant yet. But he didn't have faith. But later on, in Genesis chapter 22, he did show his clear faith in his heart. He just had to go through some experiences to see that God was faithful. We're all like that, aren't we? We trust in God, but we sort of figure out, now how is God going to work this out? Okay. Let me help you. Got brainstorming session with God. Okay, God, let's figure out how you could do this. Okay, here's my possibilities. One, two, three, four. Okay. Why don't you do number two, God? Oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Oh, God, do number two. Number two this way. I want you to do it, God. This way. I want you to work it out. Oh, God, it's impossible to work out number two now. Don't you answer prayer? And we just sort of read over it, and then a couple months later, we look back, and it was all taken care of. We're going... How did, how did that happen? How did that all work out? God did number five. There wasn't a number five. I gave him four choices, you know. Now, God is patient with you as a new believer. But after a while, he'll just say, okay, which one? Number one, I'll, I'll let you watch that fell. Number two, I'll let you watch that fell. Number three, I'll let you watch that fell. Number four, okay, you see that one fell? There's no hope, right? Okay, I'm going to let you sit there for a while. And you're just there going, there's no hope. There's no way out of this. And then all of a sudden, God comes through in a completely unexpected way. And God's saying, don't help me out next time. <laughs> Trust in me. Believe in me. I will do it. Well, we've got to figure it figured out. Hagar. That's what we'll do. We've got Hagar here. This is the plan, you know. And then that just blows up in their face. Doesn't work out. Well, next year, you know, I'm only 86. You know, it's going to happen, you know. Sarah, you're not that old. You know, you're only 76. Oh, 76. Oh, boy, that's not, that doesn't sound good. But, you know, it's possible. 76, you know, that's, then all of a sudden she's 77. God, <clears throat> you know, she hits 80. I don't see any way you're going to be able to pull this one off. Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, we'll just let her turn 80 then. 80, 81. Well, 81. God, I mean, this is just, you know, maybe, you know, I'm going to we'll cruise on over to that one area over there in Judea where they have those herbal vitamins, and we'll get her on a strict routine, and, and uh, maybe by 85. But 85 is max, even with the herbal vitamins, God, you know. Until finally, he said, man, she's good as dead. That's what Abraham said. <laughs> She's not past the age of having babies. She's as good as dead. But then he finally came to the place and just gave up. And said, okay, God. 
I trust in you. Now, if you look through the Bible, you'll find this consistent. Moses is going to use him to deliver the children of Israel. It motivates him to be an extra good swords fighter. Man, he's learning it well, you know. And, and then finally, he realizes, I'm 40 years old. These people are oppressed. God, back me up. I'm going to war against the Egyptians. And he goes out and he kills an Egyptian. The next day he comes out with the Hebrews and he says, Hey guys, don't quarrel amongst yourself. You know, we've got to be united if we're ever going to win over this Egyptian power. Who are you? You're going to kill us like you did that guy yesterday? <sighs> I thought I buried him pretty deep. Somebody must have saw me doing it. Oh no. And he's so hurt over the Hebrews' reply because it says in Acts that he thought they understood that God had sent him. He was so devastated by this. But see, God's plan wasn't for another 40 years. So Moses is out in the wilderness and he's just bummed and disheartened and he's just year after year after year tending these handful of sheep, gave up all hope on prosperity and success. He was finally satisfied to take care of another man's handful of sheep. That's it. I'll take care of these handful of sheep until I die. And then God shows up. Moses, in the burning bush, you know, I'm going to send you down and use you to deliver the child. Oh, not me, no way. His, his own motivation was completely dead. His own self-efforts were completely dead. His own thoughts, his own brainstorming, his own ideas were completely dead. Now God can use him. Abraham, the same way. Isaac, the same thing happened with him. We see God coming to Gideon. Oh, you mighty man of valor. I'm no mighty man of valor. I'm going to hide this little bit of wheat over here in this cave, and I'm going to go hide myself, you know. No, you're going to deliver the children. I can't deliver the children of Israel. Well, you're going to do it. And there he calls the men together, 32,000 people, and Gideon's looking down at the hundreds of thousands of Midianites in the, the field down below going, man, it's going to be a close one, but, you know, God backs us up. We, we could probably pull it off. God gets angry, you see. No way. Just go tell everybody who's afraid to go home. <laughs> Could you imagine doing that? Everybody's afraid. There's just 10,000 guys who are too stupid to know the difference or too stupid to say. 22,000 people leave. 10,000 people are behind. And now he's looking at going, great. This is going to be really tough to pull off, but maybe they're all, maybe I'll see how good a sword fighters they are and see how good they are with the bow. Maybe this is a possibility, even though they're it's 10 to 1. It could be, Okay, tell everybody to go drink out of some water, and everybody who laps like a dog, you can keep. 300 guys. Oh, this is impossible. It can't be done, you see. God had brought Gideon down to that place because he said, I have to bring you here unless you glory in yourself, saying, I did it. Turn over just a couple pages to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look there at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Remember back in verse 17? He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. 
He takes people who are nots and makes them into something. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him or by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, period. Not in anything else. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or chapter 1. Then over to chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our troubles which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. What did Paul experience there in verse 8? Beyond measure, above strength. He emptied himself, you see. Look there in chapter 3, verse 4. For we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Did Paul learn his lesson back in verse 1? Yes, he did. But our sufficiency is, of, is from God, who also made us sufficient of ministers of the new covenant, not of the letters, not of man's self-sufficiency, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Look over there. Down in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is what? Liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Look there in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Second Corinthians. For we do not preach ourselves. Why? It's a pretty boring sermon, that's why. <laughs> but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How is it happening? Through the light of Jesus Christ as he lives in us, he's shining forth. So in verse 7, for we have this treasure. This is our jewels. This is our our wealth in earthen vessels in these in this temp in this temple we live in this body that we have right now this is the treasure that the excellence of the power may be of God and what not of us oh how we need to understand that it's God who's going to do it and so what do we learn there in verse 13 we learn this but since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Oh, that we could hear the true testimony, not how, 
well, you know, I figured I needed to start getting disciplined if I'm going to grow in Christ. No. The testimony is, as I tried to read the Bible, it seems like a very simple thing to be able to do. I read the newspaper every day for 15 years in a row, but I can't read the Bible two days in a row. What's going on? I can get on the phone and talk with somebody else for two hours straight, but I can't get on my knees and talk to God for two minutes straight. What is going on? We start to realize that fleshly, earthly pursuits that will have no fruit, have no lasting value, your flesh will give in to. Your flesh will enjoy. Your flesh will be a part of. But any kind of fruit that will cause eternal purposes... You can't do it not even one time. There's nothing good that dwells in you. There's none good, no, not one. So what do we learn in Romans? We learn that the one who gives life to the dead is the one who's going to cause you to grow spiritually. The one who causes things that don't exist to exist, it's God who's going to do it. Look there in Romans chapter 8 with me. Verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also, what? Glorified. That's your status in heaven, folks. That's you in heaven. Now notice your part in these verses. Verse 29 and 30. Now think about it. What's your part? Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many, many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What are you supposed to do? That's just your promise. Look at Abraham back over in chapter 4. Look what he did to promises of God. In verse 20. He did not waver at what? The promise of God through unbelief, but was what? Strengthened in faith. The more he spent time in the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what did he end up doing? Giving glory to God. So here's Abraham in the morning getting up, just praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. What are you so excited about, Abraham? Oh, I just can't wait to see my little baby. Sarah's pregnant? Well, no. But I know I'm going to have a child from her. How old is she now? Almost 90. 90 years old? You're nuts. No, it's going to happen. I'm sure of it. He didn't stare. He didn't. He was able to praise and to thank the Lord. In the same way, we have these precious promises. Turn over also to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look there at verse 5, or verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Listen to this now. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in the mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. What does God do to people who are dead? Back in Romans 4. He raises them from the dead, doesn't he? He made us alive together with Christ. By the way, 
It's all by grace you've been saved. It's all 100% God's doing. And he raised us up to be garbage collectors in heaven. Is that what it says? No. He raised us up together. By the way, if you're a garbage collector, I respect you. No, no offense taken. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at what he did. He raised us up together. He's already now. He speaks those things as if they have already happened. God looks in the future and he already sees you seated together with him in heavenly places. Verse 7, that in ages to come throughout all of heaven and eternity, he might show the exceeding riches of your diligence and your persistence in your efforts in Christianity. Is that what it says? No. That he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's so important number one, that we understand the love in which he's loved us. Today, I was just sort of overwhelmed as I was studying out this passage that God loves me. I am the biggest screw-up in the world, and God loves me. He desires me. He has a passion for me. He just loves to be with me. He loves to hear my voice. He's excited about everything I've learned, and he loves to teach me more. God loves me. And I called up a couple of people today, and I just, the first words, I just said, I am commissioned by God to tell you how much he loves you. Both people got choked up. How Satan wants to rip us off, to keep us down. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, we've got a battle with our flesh. We've got to fight with our flesh. That's coming up, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. But we are already promised in advance we will have victory over our flesh. So why are you cast down, O soul, David say? Why are you broken? Why are you down? Get up. Rejoice. God is good. I want to end tonight with that wonderful passage in Psalms 37. We'll just look at the first few verses of it. Psalms 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and what? Feed on his faithfulness. Oh man, can you just see it? Romans 4, isn't it just a, it's, a, it's the hinge, isn't it? Almost that the whole Bible turns on. That whole understanding that Abraham, although his, he was weak, although his body was as good as dead, his wife's body was good as dead, he didn't consider that. He didn't even take that into consideration. He didn't start calculating it out in his own mind. He didn't walk by sight. He walked by faith. He looked to God. He trusted the promises of God. He didn't waver. He was fully convinced that what God said he would do, God was able to perform it. 
And I'm here to tell you God is able to do above, exceedingly above and beyond whatever we can ask or think. And here we just see, let's just trust in the Lord. God's going to take us from A to Z. God's going to do it. Let's dwell in that land. Let's feed on His faithfulness, His mercy, His love, His goodness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. God loves you. God desires you. God wants to be with you. You're here tonight by His love. His Spirit has brought you here. He shall give you what? The desires of your heart. Not every fleshly appetite that your flesh produces, but what's in your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. What are those burdens you have tonight? Just lift them up and just turn your hands over and drop it all right at his feet. Just let it go. Just drop it right on over. Literally, it's the, the word here is where you have a burden on your back. Let's say you're carrying a big giant bundle of hay and you've carried it your distance and what you would do is you would roll it over onto the other person's back who would then grab it and he would walk his distance. So whatever your burden is tonight, just roll it over on Jesus. Cast your cares upon him, Peter says, for he cares for you. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's the key, isn't it? Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices. And he goes on, verse 9, Evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 11, The meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Great, great psalm. But boy, how we need to come to rest in the Lord, to trust in him. He will do it. If you're having a hard time trusting in the Lord, or if you're not yet perfected in love and therefore you have fear, it comes back to knowing the Word. Knowing the Lord who had the Holy Spirit write this living Word of God. And that's going to come by God's sufficiency. We're not sufficient of ourselves to accomplish that. God, help us to have a greater desire. Bring us more into your Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Word tonight. And we thank you for Abraham who is a man who messed up a lot, just like we do. But yet, deep down in his heart, he did trust in you, Lord. Even though he went into Hagar and had Ishmael, even though he begged for Sarah to say he's, she's his sister, Lord, even though he stumbled and struggled outwardly in many ways, yet in his heart, Lord, where you saw, a man who doesn't look upon the outward man, but looks upon the heart, we saw that you truly did trust, he truly did trust in you. And Lord, we know that there's great joy in exploiting faith. We read in Hebrews 11, by faith, so many people accomplish so many great things. And Lord, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And God, we do know that our response to you is essential. To the numbers of prayers we pray is how many prayers we get answered. To the amount we study the word is how much we know the word. We know, Lord, that although you're merciful and kind, you're also still just, and you're not going to teach us things we haven't studied. You're not going to answer prayers that we didn't pray. 
And so, Lord, we come humbly before you, knowing, Lord, that you're a God of mercy and kindness, of love. You've never thought one ill thought towards us. You've never had one negative word from your mind or your heart or out of your mouth towards us. We know you love us with a love that's incomprehensible, but yet we want to know that love that's past knowledge. Lord, we just come before you now. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that upon every person here tonight, you would greatly, Lord, increase our faith. And Lord, you would enlarge in our hearts to know your love greater and greater, the height, the width, the length, the, the depth, to know the love of God that passes all comprehension, that we might be filled up with the fullness of you. Lord, continue to work in our hearts a greater knowledge of you, a greater love for you. Lord, help us now, Lord, that we might know you still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, that we might approve the things that are excellent, that we might be without offense till the day of Christ. Fill us up more and more. Let us walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That we could be fruitful, Lord. Oh, Lord, please strengthen our hearts. And Lord, tonight, those who are here that are weak in faith, Lord, through this word tonight, Lord, you said through the preaching of the word, we're matured, so we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Lord, if there's any here tonight that don't know you, that they'd grab a hold of the hand of the person next to them, Lord, and, and just say, pray with me. And don't let them leave here tonight without first just calling out to you. I just really sense that there's some here tonight who who don't know Christ or aren't 100% certain to know Christ. Right now, just very simply, cry out to God. Just say, here I am, Lord. Forgive my sin. Be the Lord of my life. Come into my life now and teach me to follow you and walk with you. Grab the hand of the person next to you. And that person's going to pray with you after the service tonight. And they'll also get you some booklets. We have some booklets up here. We'd love to get you to start you in a solid Christian walk here tonight. Lord, bless the saints who have heard your word and all those who aren't here tonight. Pour your spirit upon them. Convict them for not being here, for being stubborn, those who you've called to be here tonight so you can, they can be in those green pastures. Lord, strengthen the hearts of those who are sick and couldn't make it here tonight or those who are working and want to be here tonight. Lord, bless Calvary Chapel, San Diego. Let us be more salty. Let us be a greater light. Open doors that no man can shut before us, Lord, and shut doors that no man can open. Just let us know, Lord, that we're being all that we can be for the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.